Welcome to the podcast. This is the Word on the Hill. We are the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. And I'm Father Peter Mosin. And we are coming at you from Lent. Well, not yet, but you guys are about to be in Lent. Well, we're all about to be in Lent. Anyway, we're pre-recording this, as we always do. Well, what's really nice about Lent is that it's not, it's, even though it's a different season, it's not engaged in usury. Because you got Lent something. Lent. Oh, that oh. was a stretch. I know. It is, that was a stretch. It is interesting. Oh, <laughs> have you just been thinking about these the no, whole no, time? No, no, no. I just, I just have doing we this We took right some now. time to study together, and I'm assuming this is what you've been doing with, <laughs> with all like, of that time. I was like, what kind of puns can I do in relationship <laughs> to the season of life? i got to work usury into it somehow. <laughs> Classic Father Peter. Dude, somebody was, I was talking to one of our accounting students, and I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like, oh, I'm studying usury. <laughs> And I was like, what? And they were, they were like, yeah, this oh, is theory and mathematics you. of interest. And I was yeah. like, I was like, that was Cole Bloom. And I was like. I could have guessed it was Cole Bloom. I was like, Cole, you rock my socks, dog. Cole. Dude, well, um, we uh, had our annual debate mm. up here in Boulder, and it was awesome. It Professor was... James Gaston came from Francisco University of Steubenville, Ohio. Shout out to Steubenville. Whoop, whoop. My alma mater. <laughs> We had Professor Michael Humer from the philosophy department here at CU. Shout out to CU. And you know what's awesome is as I was like, I was like, I know what your favorite bone is in your body. Don't what is with you? Uh-huh. I, we've been together for like an hour. You haven't used one pun. No <laughs> you're consolidating all of them. And I was like I was like, Oh it, my gosh. I was like, it's your humorous. And he's he's like, That's a funny bone. That was uh, that was our exchange right before the uh, right before the debate I got didn't know started. You told him. Oh yeah. You said it to him. Oh, of course, man. Oh man. Like, He's a little bit stoic, so uh, that <laughs> makes me very happy. He kind of good is, man, smart man. Yeah, yeah. He is a little stoic. That that's why it was oh. like a, it was a total risk to just go. <laughs> oh my go. gosh. He, he has kind of like long, straight black hair. Oh, that's and, great. And it was just really fun. That and, is fun. It was a it was a fun. It was debate. Yeah, it's it's fun because Father Peter and I were just talking before the podcast. Some of you might have been at the debate. It's fun because we've both been getting like there's lots of people who are happy. There's lots of people who are mad at us. There's lots of frustration. And and, and I'm thrilled because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the reason you hired me is to help our students to think and wrestle through things, which is part of what this was. And that, but that, but that's a hard <laughs> yeah, thing totally. to do. So you know, we had this discussion. We call it a debate, but I mean, it's two worldviews being presented. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's so fun because our students are like, why well, I, I would have said this. And I think it's this thing. And I don't know about this part of the worldview. And, and two days later, people are still, it is still the number one topic of conversation. The I question mean, by the way was, was, uh, are, is religion good for society on a societal level? And it's, it's a huge, and it's an unanswerable question in that kind of format. And as believers, I mean, it, it's fundamentally true because we believe in the truth, but in a public forum, you know, how do you deal with this? And I was just excited to give our students the opportunity to think through these things, wrestle through, and to learn and get some tools to, to engage with a huge secular university and secular atheism and all of the things that that brings with it. How do we actually have that conversation? Totally. And well, what and, and we do it. I actually am really impressed on how we do it. And I think other people are because our debater from last year from CU, Dr. Tooley. Yeah, he came. Came, came to the debate this year. Which and he hung means, out at the reception. Yeah. He, drank some wine with us. I mean, that's awesome. And, and kept in the dialogue and like yeah. that that's the thing is that like you don't show up to some place unless there are people who are actually talking and seriously engaging if you're just yes. setting up a straw man to just like hey let's go beat on let's go beat on the atheist yeah. th- then then the the people who are actually trying to engage and understand truth 
professors are interested in people who are thinking. Like yeah. that's what they're interested in. And like when they're coming to hang out with us, that's what they get. And that's what our, our job is to bring the Catholic intellectual tradition. And if we trust in that tradition, yep. then we trust that the tradition's got enough weight behind it that we can we can hang. We what are you saying about academia. me right there? Father, yeah, well, <laughs> I'm just saying. I did. That Father, Father Brady We've been and I are about the same. those Cajun chips. Oh, baby, uh, those, Eubanks family, dude. Those, uh, those voodoo chips, man. Those you are can, delicious. You can sell them from it like took, thirty feet. Eubank family. It took me days before I had the guts to to try the voodoo chips. But I had to bless them first. I know. I still don't know work. if I've entered pagan spirits into my body, but they're delicious. <laughs> that's why. We, that's why we bless that's all why the we bless things. It. All right, you guys. It's the first, first Sunday, Sunday of. Our Land. Boom. Boom. I don't know about you guys, but I'm already sick and tired of fasting. <laughs> Dude, oh, okay. yeah, eat your, eat your hamburger on Friday before Lent. It's. Do they have time? Well, we're, no, po- we're podcasting. I'm trying to think of when they're going to be listening to this, though. It's the Thursday. Yeah, you eat your hamburger. You guys are good. On Thursday, not Friday, though. Just remember, you're no, supposed to fast, fast from, from meat on but Lent. But if you're hearing it on Thursday, on Fridays. you're good to go. Not so, Friday though. Hold up on to meat. Well, unless you give up meat for Lent. Yep. In which case, just don't eat it. Don't eat it. Okay. Our first anyway. reading is from the Deuteronomos. Ooh, Deuteronomy. Tocho, tocho twenty six four through ten. I don't know. What, I don't know what the tocho <laughs> I is. I, do, I just said it, man. It just uh, came out of my mouth. That's all right. Our Psalm is Psalm ninety one verses one through two, ten through eleven, twelve through thirteen, fourteen and fifteen, and our response itself is fifteen B. Lectura segundo. Second reading is from Romans. Romans. Uh, it's 10, 10, 8 through 13. I can't <laughs> count. Job. I can't count. No, you shouldn't, you know, don't get on the boat if you don't want to. But I got, a, I got a good Spanish accent. I just wish that I could. Don't get on it. the bus if you're not willing to go to Baltimore. That's what I'm saying. saying. Goes. All right. Something like that. Our gospel is coming from the gospel of Luke because we're in your sea. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, The Temptation in the Wilderness. <laughs> what? What? Who are you, dude? You're I'm so, your friend, Scott. You are. You are. Uh, somebody's calling me on my phone. Well, tell him to stop. Don't call me on my phone. I'm stop podcasting it. right now. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, man. Deuteronomos is the second law. It's plan B. This is good. Yes. it's So Deuteronomy, yeah, literally is the second. The first law, by the way, was the Ten Commandments. God's command to his people. They fail at that. They get Deuteronomy. So when we think of, <laughs> when we, well, when we think of Deuteronomy, we think of all the weird, um, you know, seemingly legalistic, heavy, tons of verbose laws, these 613 laws of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And we forget, I think, that Deuteronomy also has a great narrative. There is law code. There's a lot of laws. But Deuteronomy is a wonderful narrative. It's a great book. And it's despite some of the weird things, seemingly weird things, Deuteronomy has often been called the heartbeat of the Old Testament. Our, our friend Tom Smith, I don't know if he coined that. Oh. But he taught me that Deuteronomy is the heartbeat of the Old Testament because... The idea of, or the word for heart, levav in Hebrew, actually shows up more in Deuteronomy than in any other book. Oh. And it's all this idea that it, it's really, no, yes, there's lots of law code. Yeah. But underlying everything, it's not the fact that God wants all these laws. He wants the hearts of his people back. And he's going to use any means necessary to get it, even if it means punishment, even if it needs means asking them to do these things that are, are complicated. He wants their hearts. That's why. It's not because he's uh, you know randomly just asking us to do these arbitrary things. So at the end of the book, um, really verse 26, uh, chapters 26 through 28 or so, which is mm-hmm. where we are now, yeah. really 26 through 30, 
Um, it's the end of the story. So Moses is about to die. He's going to die soon. The people of Israel are about to enter into the promised land. They're going in and they're about to have a covenant ceremony in which they, as they prepare now to enter into the promised land, Moses is going to die soon. They're preparing to enter the promised land to become the people that God wants them to be, to be built up as a nation. They're preparing to have this covenant ratification ceremony, renewal, reminding them, okay, this is who we are. This is who God is. This is who he wants us to be. This is the relationship. Um, They're preparing for this covenant meal where they're eventually in chapter 28. Remember, they're going to go in. They're going to stand on those two different mountains and they're going to shout back and forth the blessings and the curses if we're faithful or unfaithful. This is the preamble sort of to all that. And... Before any of these, this covenant stuff gets ratified or, or renewed, Moses has to do the thing that is key to any catechesis, which is, what's at the heart of all catechesis? Well, catechesis means to re-echo. Right. So, so the key to, to it is To telling, study. Mm, to tell the narrative. To tell the story. W- well, salvation is, history. Oh, dude, that's re-echo. awesome. Re-echo. That's why you, you, you hit it. It's re-echoing. There's a theme throughout the whole Old Testament. Whenever you see people going back to the story, relearning, they do well. Whenever you see people forgetting the story, they do poorly. Which is interesting because narrative is the means of communicating a worldview. That is, that's yeah, why, yeah. why narratives in our culture are so super important. Absolutely. Like, we have a ton of narratives, and that's why, that's why actually, in fact, the, the battle for our souls are, are often actually found in the narrative. And so, like, Absolutely. so what we're seeing here is this really going back in the retelling. I, that's really beautiful. Yeah. That he's, he's like, okay, you, well, cause, you have to remember. And, it, and it's not uncommon. It happens every kind of major moment for Israel. Right. Somebody says, okay, let's go back. Let's think through this. Which is actually kind of the, part of the inspiration of genealogies. Like, Absolutely. It's, it's actually it to remember. Yeah. Remember where you came from, suckers. There's people. There's flesh and blood who actually, pre- yeah, absolutely. It's there's huge. DNA. I was actually yeah. thinking about how, what if you actually replaced blood with DNA and, but then, I mean, not like literally, but like <laughs> just word wise. But th- th- I'm not going to keep talking about that. It's <laughs> probably for the best. I, I yeah, I get where you're going now. Yeah, um, but yeah. So and and the the part of the story that he tells this is Moses speaking. He says, "My father was a wandering Armenian, uh, Aramean. Aramean. I keep saying Armenian, Aramean, <laughs> who went down to Egypt with a small household." So he's talking about the story of Joseph, right? When all of Israel goes down to Egypt, because. I mean, so he's talking about the story of Joseph. He went down to Egypt with a small household. He lived there as an alien. Uh, but there he became a nation, you know, talking about Jacob, talking about Israel. Great, strong, and numerous when the Egyptians maltreated and oppressed us, imposing hard labor upon us. We cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and he heard our cry. He saw our affliction, our toll, our oppression. He brought us out of Egypt. He released us with a strong hand, um, et cetera, et cetera. He tells the story. But if you notice— Hold on. As you're talking about this, you come back. Hold on to that thought is that both of the movements yes. are towards bread. Because actually they're going down to Egypt because they need bread. They need bread. And then to come back, there's this moment in, in as they're in the desert, where will we get our bread? Mm. I don't know. I just that's, that's very interesting. It's very interesting. I mean, it's true. It's embedded in there. Yeah. It's, but, imbre- but, it's embedded in there. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my. Scott, I'm so proud of you. Oh, my gosh. Um, but the other thing I'm noticing about this is that there's... There's equal parts glory and hardship, so to speak, right? Mm. Why do they end up in Egypt in the first place? And he doesn't mention this. They end up in Egypt in the first place because terrible brothers sold their younger brother into slavery. Right. And God 
blessed him and worked through him so the family could be saved through him. Right. And so then they grew, and then a terrible pharaoh came and maltreated them and oppressed them, so God freed them. So there's always it's this back and forth of there's suffering, and then there's glory out of it, and then there's suffering again, and then there's glory again. Wow. And it's this preparation. Don't forget. And, and really what I think, in part, Moses is saying, look, we're about to go into this promised land. We're going to conquer this place. We're going to... This is going to be our home. God's going to build us up into a nation. But as soon as we get big-headed about that, we're going to fall to our sin. We're going to fall to suffering. And we're mm. probably going to suffer anyway. Regardless, there's going to be suffering. Yeah. Don't forget that. So when we go into this land, when God builds us up, when things get hard, when they get difficult, don't forget the ways that God has always brought us out of that suffering into his glory. It's this constant. But you can't, for, you can't separate this story from where they are in the bigger narrative. Right. They're about to go in. They're about to become his people. Don't forget the the messy road that it took you to get here, right? Right. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, going to this land of milk and honey. And constantly the refrain here is God heard our affliction. He heard us. And it's this, the idea of, it's the term Shema, right? Um, Shema The Israel. Hebrew term for hear and to listen and to obey are all the same word. So in that term Shema, is hearing, like I hear the words. It's also listening, and it's also doing something about it, obedient, uh, o- obeying. So, you know, I could ask my children to take out the garbage, but unless they actually take out the garbage, like they might hear me and not do anything about it, just sit in front of the TV. But unless they actually get up and take out the garbage, that's how I know, oh, you heard and heard me. Like you acted, you you stood up. So it's not just God, oh, God hears us, we pray to him, he hears us. It's a God who acts on our behalf. He gets up and he He does something. That's Shema. And so mm. our response is we knew, too must hear the Lord. Mm. We must hear him because he hears us and we must get up and we must do our thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I Shema hear, is at the root. I, I'm, it's the, I'm it's hearing the, everything that you're saying. <laughs> Very good. Which takes us to the psalm. And I was struggling with the psalm, and, and I know you have some thoughts, but the psalm, the, the response is, be with me, Lord, when I'm in trouble, which it's all, I mean, if you just kind of breeze through these readings, which I did the first couple times, you miss what it's trying to say, because you read this first reading, and it's all about, he's going to take us into this land, it's going to be flowing with milk and honey, it's so great, here's our story. But what the psalm is is trying to get us to pause and reflect on is that the Lord is with us when we're in trouble. Mm. Oh, you're this great moment. You're about to enter into this huge thing. You're about to start this new phase of life. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be wonderful. Ask the Lord to be with you when you're in trouble, though. Mm. Don't forget, as you're on these moments of, of everything being great, that you're going to need help in the hard moments, because the hard moments will come. And that's, that's the true test of character, is if we're able to turn to God in those moments and and know he's going to pull us out. I don't know. That that's why I've I've been struggling with the psalm and kind of how it fits here. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, Thomas is actually says that that um, in the Aquinas, the, Thomas Aquinas. Yeah, sorry, there is only really one Thomas. Let's be well, I just mentioned Thomas Smith a few minutes ago. Sorry, <laughs> Thomas Smith. Thomas. There's Aquinas. a Thomas and a half. Thomas the Lesser. Thomas the Lesser. <laughs> <laughs> um, is he says that this is a psalm written. Um, from the point of view from Jesus Ooh. returning as conqueror from hell. Oh my! So he, that fits so well with our with our gospel. I know, isn't it? it and so it's actually really beautiful. Like, mm. is mm. is like it, as returning as conqueror. So yeah. I, I just I just think it's really beautiful. And then like, and and the, the, it's really this notion of protection from evil spirits and the, and like uh, that expression. But again, that's that's precisely what Israel needs to hear as they're about to go in and quote unquote conquer the land. 
is that they're not the conquerors. It's only God. I mean, you've yes. heard my whole theory about this. So everyone gives the Bible such a hard time because they go into the promised land and they have to fight all these wars and kill all these people and all this stuff. And I'm not, I'm not meaning to justify the violence. I mean, God has his ways and it's, it's, it's mysterious and it's complicated. But I'm also convinced that if Israel had gone into the promised land when God asked them to, they wouldn't have fought a single battle because God had already prepared things for them. God's right. the conqueror. He fights the battles. But they didn't. They got afraid, so they wait around for 40 years. And then all the nations inside that territory build up their armies for 40 years, and because then they have they to know, fight. Because they know that there's this strong nation who right. just came out of Israel who's living in the desert, hungrily looking for a place to yes. be. And they're like, we're going to have to... Act, like These people are going to come in and, and jack us, so we right. have to you know, defend this house. But if you remember in Joshua, there was... Uh, who was it? Hagar the prostitute? Who was the prostitute? Rahab. Rahab right. the prostitute says, she confesses to them, look, our people are all terrified of you. They heard about what your God did in Egypt. Right. They know that your God is God. And again, if they just acted on that when they were supposed to, God had already conquered. He'd already prepared everything for them. I know the parasites we and Jebusites. And... The Jebusites. But we make it complicated, and then we have more work because we don't follow God. We don't trust that he's the conqueror. So that's precisely what Israel needs to hear. And then they become that, embattled. Yeah, yeah exactly. But like it's this, the culture around us. But it's this theme of this psalm, that God is the conqueror. Mm. Exactly what you're saying. So, so that, that being said. That being said, uh, let's go to Romans, which is like the... That's a wild card, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like like the, Romans 10, which is like the... Um, the kind of uh, at the heart of it, it's it's like if you believe with your heart and confess with your lips, then you'll experience salvation. Yeah, which we but we can't see it outside of the broader context of Romans, right? Right. So there's an immediate context Be- of well, Romans, and there's a remote context because well, it's with yeah, because every time that, that like the particular mode that we're always going to be reading scripture, and this is always fit to remind us, is that we read the word within the context of a sentence. The sentence is within the context of the paragraph. The Mm. paragraph is in context within the chapter, and the chapter was in the context of the book, and the book is in the chapter, is in the context of the reality of which it's sent to be written to. You can't ever just cherry pick, is what I'm trying to say, but but it's a great way to just say, like, no, these are these are nested. These are this is a very nested reality, and so you to understand it, you have to actually go into these layers. Yes, that's what we're doing in this whole this whole podcast. Right. And that's why it's so difficult because it's easy to forget what the layers are. So, there's Romans, approximate and remote. So Romans context. ten, which a lot of us are familiar with, that you know, if you believe with your heart and, and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Yes, true. But that's within the context of this section of <laughs> Romans nine through eleven. And Romans nine through eleven is a distinct section in the context of the whole book of Romans. What's going on in Romans? Well, in Romans, the big macro narrative is this. Uh, there's Jewish Christians and there's non-Jewish Christians, so Gentile Christians, and they're battling with each other over basically who's better. So I, I don't want to unpack the whole history, but basically if, if, we, if we follow the biblical narrative and we understand the history of this, there was a moment in Rome when Caesar kicked out all of the Jewish Christians, all the, in, all the Jews. In 49, yeah. In 49 AD. He expelled them all because they were fighting over some guy that the historians say was named Christus which is just a garbled, misunderstood form of Christ. So they're fighting about if this guy is the Messiah or not, the Jews. And it's obviously gotten so big and potentially violent and whatever that Caesar hears about it. He says, I'm not going to allow this disharmony and it's threatening the Pax Romana and everything else. They're out. I don't want these people in my my city anymore. Get out. So So all the Jews and the Jewish Christians leave. 
Yeah, the Jewish Christians, which are going to be uh, um, ethnically identifiable. Yeah, that's like, where Paul meets Prisca and Aquila. Remember that when he meets Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth, it says because they had just come from Rome because Caesar had kicked out all the Jews. Exactly. So, the, so in Rome, the only people left are the Gentile Christians. And we, and at this point, the church is predominantly Jewish. At least the leadership of the church. Now, Paul's going out and he's making all these new congregations, but he always starts with the Jews. The leadership, the, the apostles were Jewish, right? The, the leaders, the priests, the bishops, they're primarily Jewish. Right. Now, in Rome, they're all booted, which leaves, like you said, just the Gentiles. Now, in the year 54, all the Jews come back. Nero is the new Caesar, and we don't usually remember Nero for doing good things, but he did one benevolent thing. He let everybody back. So they all come back and they find this church, right, that's not Jewish anymore. And and you can pick it up in the in the book if you read through Romans carefully, especially the last few chapters, you see this that, that they're at each other's throats. And you have the Jews coming back, presumably like, hey, thanks for holding down the fort. You know, this is great. We're ready to take our old jobs back. Well, all you have to do is look at the context of the Roman oppression of yeah. Israel. Like, they're the occupiers. So you have a bunch of Romans yeah. Yeah. who... Like, like, there's some old detention. This isn't just like something new. This Big is time. like they're like they're Big still time. trying to figure out. Like, hold yeah. on, you can't tell us what to do. You've been doing that forever. And the Gentiles are like, well, you got yourselves kicked out. Like, you're it's great you're back, but get used to it. We're the leaders now. We're actually in the family of God together. You've been telling us. And that. not only are we in the family of God, but you also get the sense that they might be thinking they're better in the family of God. They're like, because so many of your people didn't even accept the Messiah. Mm. Great, you had the Old Testament. Great, you had the covenants. Right. But now you've rejected the Messiah. So guess what? God's moved on to us. Get used to it. So that's the that's what you're dealing with here. So the overarching question of Romans is this. And it's an applicable question for the Jewish people who are struggling with that reality, yeah. but also for the Gentiles who might be lording it over them, which is, is God trustworthy? God may, and that's, this is a big question. This is where Romans 9 through 11 specifically comes in. It's this question of, the, the, I don't think we wrestle with enough. Now, wait a second. This is God's covenant family. The Jewish people were given the covenants in the Old Testament. They were called the chosen people, the firstborn son. Right. And that's not generic. That was ethnic Israel. That's reality. Right. So how come there's not more Jewish brothers and sisters in our church? How come so many of them did reject the Messiah? What happened? And the question that Paul then deals with in that, in that sense is God promised Israel a certain um, inheritance. God promised that Israel was this reality. So if that doesn't seem to be the case anymore, is God trustworthy? Is God actually faithful to what he said? Because if he's just decided, well, I'm going to move on from the Jewish people and go on to somebody else— then what's to say that God's not just callous and going to move on to somebody else after us, after he's done with us Gentiles, right? Mm, Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. That's at the heart. So, And that's where Romans 10 comes in the midst of. Paul is saying, no, God has not rejected his covenant people. God is faithful to Israel. He's perhaps moving on to make them jealous. But the reality is Israel's whole vocation was to broaden the family, was to bring in the Gentiles, whether we like the Gentiles or not. Their whole vocation was to be a light to the other nations, which is what we were talking about actually in the in the, in the narrative of Plan B. That yeah, in fact, that's it, absolutely right. Like kind of what we're seeing in Romans.
happens is is some struggle, like because it's always going to be hard to to work it out. The absolutely the, the worldviews. It's going to be hard to actually work out um, how that expresses itself practically. Yes. In 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 this kind of separation of church and state, it's a theocentric reality, not a the- theocratic reality. Yes. And so. So we're we're kind of getting a view of like what could have happened back then, but it's actually happening now because it is really the plan of God to actually bring all the nations in together. And and I'll, and then put that in the context of the first reading for a second, then because again, I'm convinced. That's what I was doing. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I thought you said something else. Well, yeah. yeah, but but like you said, the the point of going into the promised land was to. It was not just a. I, this is how we misread the Old Testament. We um. We see it as Israel supposed to come in and conquer everybody. Right. No, Israel was supposed to come in and bring everybody else into the covenant family. And convert everybody. And convert everybody, which is what I think would have happened if they'd just done it when God asked them to. Right. But then it gets weird and complicated and people want to fight. And then they become the enemy instead of the potential family member. Um, which is what, so strangely, the church is then, like, why does the church pull out this passage? Because it's reminding us that if, as the first reading in the psalm says, God is the one who fights our battles, he's the conqueror, mm. that might also mean that we have our enemies mistaken. Because mm. Israel is hearing this in Deuteronomy mm. 26, and they're like, all right, the enemies, we're going to fight, it's time to go. But if they're wrong on who the conquerors are, then they're probably wrong about who they're supposed to be conquering. Right. Which is not the Jebusites and the Parasites and the Amorites and the Hittites and everybody else, all the ites. But it's, it's Satan himself, which is where the gospel comes in. Because, again, that, that's what Romans is getting at. Look, and this isn't Martin Luther screwed it up and was talking about, oh, it's, you know, it, we only need faith as opposed to works and as opposed to all this stuff. No, that's not what Paul's talking about. He's saying, look, I'm making the case here that even if they're Gentiles, even if they're Romans, even if they're descendants of Nero who's going to persecute you and kill you, guess what? If they confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord, they can be part of the covenant family as well. Right. That's what this is about. Yes. Which is... Which is even the Jebusites, even the Ammonites, even the Canaanites, they were supposed... If they confess with their mouth... It's, it's Rahab the prostitute in Jericho. Right. She confessed with her mouth and believed in her heart that the God who parted the Red Sea was God. And guess what? She shows up in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew. She's one of the three non-Jewish women that show up in Jesus' family tree. Wow. Because she represents this outsider, this potential enemy who believed in her heart, confessed with her lips because she she responded to the grace that she was given, which is very beautiful. Boom. Which I think is a perfect lead into the gospel. Yeah. Because if the whole point is we don't understand who's supposed to be conquering, therefore we might not know who our enemy is, the gospel makes it abundantly clear who the conqueror is and who the enemy is. This is the definitive battle. Right? It is. And and for 40 days 40 and days. 40 nights... And yeah, so this is Jesus going out into the wilderness. Forty, you know, it's a huge number throughout the Bible. Everything happens in forties. Yeah, <laughs> and, and for for, a lot gang- of for for gangsters too, a lot of things happen. In, really, for, with 40s. really, is that where you chose to go, <laughs> dude? My gosh, man, come you on. love to take the most like profound moments <laughs> and draw them in just, to the most inane. Oh my gosh, that's really my that's, that's my job. Right. No, in life. it is. That's good. It's, it's, it's good. It's making it accessible. It's mm, true. <laughs> you know, this is it's actually really cool. So we a lot of us know this story of the temptation of the wilderness. Um, he goes out to the wilderness for 40 days. We don't get it in, in our reading this week, and we didn't get it last week either. 
what has just happened when he does this? What sets him up for doing this? Do you remember? Oh, uh, the baptism. Yeah, he's baptized. And the idea is when we're baptized, that's actually what prepares us for our job to right. get going. Now, granted, he didn't need to be freed from sin, but he returned as this example. He cleansed the water. He changes the whole nature of nature. And then he goes forth. Well, he prepared the way of baptism. Like yeah, the, yeah. the meditation that I always have is rather than the Lord. I mean, because absolutely every living thing is touched by water, period. Yeah, absolutely. And so so by, by Jesus going down into his baptism, he's touched every living thing that will ever be. Yeah. And 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 made it uh, made the realities of the waters potentially because what happened with the Ark of the Covenant? The waters always parted. They never walked through the waters when the Ark was coming in, the presence of God, until finally he goes like, "No, I'm going to dive headlong now. We're yeah. now now the gates open for this baptism for this entrance into the family of God." Yes. That's actually what baptism is, is, yes. is, is actually salvation in this Roman's sense. It's Absolutely. Like, this is, is the yeah. gate by, by which we engage. And That's uh, why for Paul, and, and this is consistent in Paul, whenever he talks about faith, he usually talks about baptism in the immediate proximity mm-hmm. to it. Because they're always connected to him. It's not just rote belief. It's faith working through baptism. Right. Faith as opposed to the laws of Deuteronomy, which were secondary and which were temporary. Which is cool. Yeah, so Jesus goes out, having done this, he's led by the Spirit into the desert for 40 days. By the way, the, the desert, the, the wilderness, the wilderness, it's often this place where God works with his people. So there's this theme throughout the narrative. but in uh, Which in, is so important for our spiritual so lives. So important. But also, at the time, the understanding was, I mean, most people lived in the cities. The wilderness was a terrifying place. Number one, it's where bandits hung out. There's wild animals. And it was, on a spiritual level, it was seen as sort of the domain of the evil one. That's his world. We live in the cities. We live in the, you know, in the neighborhoods. It's safe here. Once you go out into the wilderness, there's all sorts of things. So spiritually, it was sort of seen as Satan's domain, which means if Jesus is going there, he's going to Satan's territory to conquer it. He's like, I'm coming to your house. That, mm. That's what the, the writers are trying to sort of uh, Ooh, show. I, yeah. I'm coming into your place, and I'm going to take it down, which is cool. So he's led there for 40 days to so, be tempted by the devil. So next time you guys are camping, think about that. <laughs> but he redeemed it. He changed that nature, right? He conquered it. He got it back. <laughs> okay. Nature's cool now. <laughs> All right. I, I, I forgot that you run an adventure camp know, where people in camp wilderness. in the wilderness. I know. Don't ruin our business. <laughs> um, the devil said to him, oh, uh, so he ate, this is, this is all of our favorite line. He ate nothing for 40 days, and when they were over, he was hungry. <laughs> I don't know. I just like that always. Dude. And all of a sudden, there's the devil. You know, there's the devil. Yeah, which I don't is, know. I don't know why that's straight. It's just Luke gives you no warning. He was hungry, he fasted, and there's the devil. And he said to him, if you were the son of God, here's the thing. Oh, we kind of know the story, right? If you're the son of God, um, command these stones to become bread and blah, blah, blah. Do you think Satan really understands who this guy is? No. He calls him the son of God, which is misleading for some of us because we know who Jesus is. We know he's literally the son of God. But don't forget, in the Old Testament tradition, the kings held the title of son of God. They weren't literally God's children like Jesus is. But they held that title. It was a t- so Satan knows. I don't know what he knows, but he knows this guy is supposed to be the Messiah. Well, and he knows he's supposed to be the king. But the reason why I would say is because what is what is Satan's single best attribute? He is an amazing people watcher, amazing banjo player. Oh, 
<laughs> What's that? Isn't that a banjo? Yeah, no, it's not a banjo. A yeah. violin. No, fiddle. Fiddle. Fiddle, fiddle player. Devil went down to Georgia. He was looking for a stole to steal. Yeah, yeah. He's amazing. Because he was wasting time and he was <laughs> looking to make a deal. <laughs> I love that song. Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> but he's an amazing people watcher. So what's happening is that- And he has- And he thinks of being a fiddle player. Now. Tr- tr- tremendous, tremendous memory. So- being able to understand all of the prophecies that are going to allow the king to actually come and be present. Yeah. Yes. Then he's he's tracking. Yes, but here's the thing. Be that as it may, I think it's so easy, and I don't, I'm not speaking for you guys, but I've always struggled with this. Because I'm like, I again, I don't know totally who Satan thinks that this is. Who do you think I am? But even, but you're like, he's God's chosen one, he's God's Messiah. Even if you don't realize he's divine... You're still like, I mean, here's Satan. If I don't know what form this all takes, but I'm like, if Satan is offering me, you know, a city and I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to take it from you. I don't trust. Like, here's Satan. I don't know. It just seems like, is is he just dumb? Does he just think Jesus is going to give in? But here's the key to it. Isn't that kind of weird? Yeah. Like, he's just throwing this. But here's the key. It's knowing salvation history. Because all Satan appears to know is this one is the son of God, the Messiah, the chosen one to lead Israel. Many other people have been called the son of God, all the kings, right? Many right. other people were called the chosen one, the Messiah, right? The anointed one, the king. All of them, almost all of them were led away by their own pride, by riches, by power, by wealth. This is Satan knows salvation history. That's why he's doing this, because he knows Israel's greatest kings were all led aside by this manner. Who I wonder to what degree, on just a spiritual level, Satan did this exact same thing with all the most important kings of Israel, because they all fall, and they all fall in a pretty brutal way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. and, and So he knows there's precedent. He knows this is how I've gotten every one of them before. And, and, and Is this one different? And. How does sin actually begin but by a thought, a thought alone? Yeah. I mean, like, and, and you know how, like, you get a thought in your mind, it starts banging around in there, <laughs> and you're like, and, and yeah. like, like the whisperings of, uh, uh, and suggestions and temptations, it's it's not like this is just one moment where it was like, yes. you, you know, command the stone to become bread. Right. He's hungry. Yes. Yes. And and imagine yes. how that pings, are, it's, and when you're hungry, you're, there's a kind of a purity to your vision. Yeah. You're just, it, it's easy to become singular. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And how that temptation would would get in there. And he waits till that moment. Right. And and we know, I mean, it's called the temptation of Jesus, the, the, the testing. We know that Jesus is totally sinless, but we can't say that Jesus wasn't a little hungry. I mean, I just wonder how hard this was for Jesus. We don't, I don't know how the, the, divine and the human are interplaying in this moment. I don't think it's Jesus just snapping his fingers. He's like, I'm not hungry anymore because I'm God. No, he enters fully into humanity. That was probably hard to be like, I really would love, I would love a piece of bread right now. This is really difficult. I would love to, fascinating. to move from meekness and exploit my divinity. Because I know who I am. Right. And everybody else thinks I'm nothing. They tried to throw me off a cliff in my hometown. Right. If only they knew. I guess they haven't done that yet. They're about to. But but Jesus is present is simultaneously to all of reality in a singular moment. Right. It's it like right. like he sees everything that is and will be. Yeah. And at the same time, he is entirely present, and that's really where it's like so wild. How do you even match those together? And he sees what was, and that I think is one of the common threads to these readings, <gasps> because Satan is quoting salvation history 
Or I, I think he's thinking about it. So what does Jesus respond with? Scripture, salvation history. He quotes Deuteronomy, in fact, all three times to counter him. So yes, he sees the future. He knows what's going to happen, but he also knows the past. He knows the entirety of this picture. So does Satan. Well, Satan doesn't know all of the future. Yeah. But he's deduce he's a, he's very smart. He knows what's going on. He knows the history. He knows his story. Um so that's precisely what Jesus uses against him. There's a great I wanted to quote this. There's a great quote from um it's from St. Ambrose. And this is great. It said St. Ambrose says, Christ goes into the wilderness to rescue man from his exile and sin. Since Adam's expulsion from Eden, man has languished in the desert of spiritual death, cut off from paradise. Christ pursues man into the desert to wrestle him away from the grip of the devil. Mm, Isn't that brilliant? It's brilliant. Because if, if the ancients are understanding wilderness as sort of the domain of the evil one, on a spiritual level, humanity's been in the wilderness for a long time. Right. So say Jesus goes into his territory, into what will be the new promised land. It's not a strip of land in Canaan. It's now the whole heavens and the earth. And he's going to conquer it and he's going to win it back. This is why we can't... I always want to bring the natural world into the stuff, you know? That's normal. But it's true. I mean, it, it's not... It's not um, unimportant that Jesus goes to the wilderness. The, the natural world is not just the background. It's, it's reality. He needs to win back, to wrestle back not only our own souls, but all of creation from Satan's grip. That's why later on when he's in the boat with the apostles, he can command the storm to stop and listen to him because he is in command of all of creation. Why? Because he's wrestled it back from Satan. Which is why Paul in Romans 8 can say all of creation is actually groaning out in travail, waiting for this. Because the whole earth, our humanity, our relationships, the created world around us has all been affected by sin. And so Christ has come to win all of it back. It's an all or nothing thing, right? Christ came to redeem all of it or none of it. Right. And he came to redeem all of it. So it's not insignificant he goes out into the wilderness because that's his promised land that he's bringing back to us. No part of creation is meant to be horrifying for us anymore. The mm. wilderness is not supposed to be a terror. The seas are not supposed to be horrifying. And I know we live in a natural world where things are still in chaos and this world, natural world is scary, but it's because it's being redeemed. It's being conformed back to Christ. The battle's done, but we're still being conformed to the, to the victory. Yeah, and that's... Us, creation, everything. And that's why I think so many people want to walk across Antarctica. I mean, like... <laughs> <laughs> and 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 the sense of exploration yeah. and the the the, ex, the explorer's impetus it's like no no like we're really meant for like even space yeah. travel and yeah. mars and they're like they're like dude let's go lock some people that in human a thing drive for is four right years in a yes. capsule you know <laughs> that sounds too long i know but that human desire is correct right because we're not escapists and we're not gnostics we're not just like oh christianity is great i'm just waiting till i can die and get the heck out of here and go off and float in heaven right no it's all of it. And there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, which is the final promised land that we've been given. It's the final countdown. All right, you guys. God bless you. That's the podcast. Um, you guys pray for Scott as pray he he's like you're in I'll be back. I'll be back by now from England <laughs> when they're listening to it. Oh my gosh, you So do. I'll either be a doctor or not. Dude, so, well, up. well, this is what I know, man. Put on your stethoscope. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. On that note, we'll see you next week. Okay.